0: the truth news network it's democrats fault it's republicans fault they cheat they suppress you can point fingers anywhere plenty of blame to go around do you know whose fault it really is the voters for rolling over to the forces that have corrupted the elections in this country and simply giving up and that's the truth From TNN, The Truth News
1: Network, and Dan Newman. Well, well, well. (laughs) It's somebody else's fault. I didn't mean for that to happen. That means I'm okay. Boy, is that not exactly what environment we're living in today. Nobody wants to take accountability for any of their wrongdoing. Period. Any wrongdoing. And we're seeing that in leadership almost from top to bottom in our federal government. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever get hacked off with specific members in our government? Maybe not just at the federal level, but in state and local level, in your state, in your city, your town. I'm one of those people. I can't stand for people to use politics to win over some idea or ideology weaponizing it against anybody who has a differing opinion than they do and we're seeing that normalized across the United States today and for that to happen you got to remember there's always somebody that loses there's never a conversation when the objective of that person that wants to weaponize something against someone else you never see that person be willing to even sit down and have an honest conversation about any of the issues. That used to never happen in the United States of America. Back in the 60s, I became cognizant, I guess, of my life in the late 50s, but started integrating with, you know, people around me, friends, teachers, people at school, etc. cetera, And I never saw a situation back then where when there were disagreements, and there were always disagreements, there will always be disagreements. It's part of being human. No two people think about everything in the exact same way. But what we have the ability to do and what people who live in society, a free and fair society, when they sign on, they sign on to say, you know what? I may disagree with you. You may disagree with me. We're going to air our differences. We may just agree to disagree. But if we don't try to find consensus, we're never going to get consensus. So what does that do? It just lights a fire under that bucket of divisiveness that has taken over our nation. I've never seen it any clearer than it is right now. And you know exactly what I'm referencing What's going on with former President Donald Trump? There is so much division, and it's right down the middle. Right down the middle. And people on the left refuse to sit down and have a conversation, a real back and forth conversation, and address specific issues. They hate Donald Trump and everything about him. They hate conservatism. They hate the Republican Party. And they hate anybody that doesn't follow and swallow their mantra, hook, line, and sinker. If you don't agree with me, you're evil. You don't deserve to breathe the same air as I do. There's never a single attempt to honestly reconcile differences with people on the left. I've said this for years on this show and in writing. I've said this, and I'm doubling and tripling down on it now. When you're a lefty, when you talk to somebody and you find out they have a differing understanding and opinion about politics, they'll immediately just go nuts on you. They're never going to just say, well, you feel that way? I feel this way. Let's try to coexist together. They never do that. They're never finished until they finish you. They will take everything they can from you. They'll diminish you in any way and every way you can that they can. That's just the way the left rolls. And the further left you get, the worse that it is. We could sit here all day long, not just the two hours of this show, but all day long and play you sound bites from actual conversations that if you monitor the halls of Congress, when they're in session and they're having these hearings, you can see that exact thing play out every day in the chambers of Congress. People on the left, they're going to diminish anybody that disagrees with them. People on the right, almost all always seem to try to be finding the facts about something and then build some consensus around facts. Instead of as the left do, they'll give you a chance. But the chance they're giving you is not to sit down with them and talk through an issue and honestly try to find consensus. Oh, no. They'll listen to you, and then they'll take their big magic marker out of their pocket and draw a big X on your forehead and your back, which means this person is unworthy. They can't be trusted. Diminish them. Don't even talk to them, but if you have to, never let them get a word in about anything that we believe in. We, the left, because they're evil. They're not worth breathing the same air as we do. And I'm not exaggerating. Well, let me circle back. I'm Jen Psaki, Jr. Let me circle back. Good morning. How are you doing this Friday? Man, man, man. First Friday in August, and it's hot. It's hot in more ways than one this is what i'm about to tell you is the absolute truth last night well it wasn't really night it was late in the evening 7:15 i went and got in my car and drove down the street a few blocks met a friend it was 107 degrees northwest louisiana shreveport we're not near the gulf of mexico for those of you didn't know the geography We're actually due east of Dallas, Texas on I-20. It's not supposed to get to 100 degrees here. But for the last couple of weeks, pretty much every day, we've rolled in pretty quickly over 100 degrees. And it hasn't rained here in 10 days. We're talking Las Vegas stuff. We're talking Death Valley stuff. And it's that evil global warming. Right before I let you listen to a good song, let me just tell you what I saw. I think it was Saturday or Sunday. I was watching C-SPAN for some reason on the weekend. Must have been accidentally there when I got up to go do something. (laughs) But I watched and listened to a true scientist, a climate scientist, not a conservative, but he's a fact person. Listen to what he said about global warming. Anytime it gets hot, oh, what what does that do? It fuels the fires of the climate activist. Oh, looky here, we're gonna burn up now, and it's because of that horrible carbon dioxide that Republicans refuse to help us get out of our atmosphere. We've got to stop that. We've got to start getting green energy and everything. We've got to blow away the petroleum industry. We've got to get rid of carbon, carbon, carbon. But then, of course, they go hop on their corporate jets that just dump 10 times, if not more than that, carbon into the atmosphere when they fly. But, you know, that's okay. They're endowed. They have to go do the dirty job to convince us all that we're idiots. This climatologist and the heat, the heat was what subject of that conversation was and he very calmly stated I believe there is some global warming going on I really do but he said it's been going on for years and he said unless and until every country on the planet agrees to a plan initiates a plan and sticks to a plan that everybody agrees on to reduce carbon emissions that's never going to happen But he said, and this is the part I wanted to tell you. This is what he said. He said, everybody's worried about the heat. Looking back at history, ever since we were able to begin to monitor our environment, our weather, our temperatures, he said the average heat on Earth has not changed two degrees. Either way. And he said people all concerned about dying from heat do you realize he said every year including last year more than twice as many people on this planet die from cold and complications from intense cold than people who die from heat twice as many but you know that's one of those facts things and we don't we don't delve into facts especially when the facts don't fit the political narrative of the day, which is always, every day. Green energy, Green New Deal, bad fossil fuel, get rid of oil and gas. Let's put up these wind turbine farms out in the oceans, and we people that are concerned about nature, will just keep on killing whales and more whales. And those turbines, they have a life expectancy of about 10 years. They cannot be destroyed. The materials they're made from are toxic, and they're going to be with us for eternity. But forget about that. For every 10 or 15 of those windmills that go up across the world, we're able to shut down one Circle K C store that sells gasoline and diesel. That's what makes it all work out. Facts don't matter in that world. Having something to put over someone else and force those people to believe or at least to function and operate in their belief rather than trying to find consensus. I'll never forget, I saw two pictures side by side. They were about, I guess, 25 or 30 miles apart from each other. Both pictures were taken in Nevada, different parts of Nevada. But the first one was a mine, a strip mine. That's where they start at the top and they circle around and dig out the chemicals or the metals or whatever they're trying to get out of it, dig that hole and it gets deeper and deeper. They were mining for materials to make batteries from. And I mean, we've got to have batteries, right? We're going all energy, battery-operated everything, right? So we got to have batteries. Technology and batteries, it's supposed to be getting a lot better, but it's not. Why is that? People know. These people that call themselves experts, they know it's never going to go in that direction to be environmentally friendly. It's not but it's something they can use to control other people and they love it. Back to the strip mine. It was a picture from above and I'm going to guess and say it was a couple of hundred acres, that whole mine and it was all torn up. The ground was dug up and you could tell it was in bad shape, but it's worth it because they're going to get the elements out of the ground to make batteries so we can do away with a service station. The other picture, side by side, was within 25 or 30 miles of the site of the first one. It was a pasture, and it was full of green, pretty grass. And right in the middle of the picture, there was one small pipe sticking straight up out of the ground. You know what that was? That was the site of one of the largest natural gas wells in the world. That's what it looks like. That's what nature looks like there compared to the battery plant creator. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of this sickness and insanity. I'm ready for the weekend. And it's already 5 o'clock somewhere. (laughs) Here's Michael McDonald
2: run enough words to say
1: Everybody can identify a little bit with that song at one point in our life and one way or the other. I actually was on a telephone call one time with Michael McDonald and I asked him about this song, what it was about. And uh, I expected him to tell us, you know, I had this great relationship with this woman and she jilted me. (laughs) And you know what his reply was? Man, I don't even remember where that song came from. It just busted my bubble. Anyway, that's one of those when you get down a little bit and you think, I just want to revel in my agony and pain for a little bit. I'll just sit and listen to Michael McDonald sing down on the losing end. Anyway, there's a lot of news out there, a lot of things that we need to get into. Of course, yesterday, another trip for Donald Trump to the courthouse and more insanity absolute insanity for the former president is jack smith he he's that evil prosecutor and he just keeps piling everything up on donald trump and it's not funny but it's getting to be ridiculous and it's getting to be obvious every day more and more obvious what the purpose is they don't give a rip about the rule of law they don't give a rip about election integrity The only thing they care about is perpetrating their desires in politics. And the singular desire for everybody on the left is to have eternal, permanent political power over everyone else. And if I'm wrong with that, somebody let me know. Give me a call, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's toll-free, 1-866-378-7884. We'll put you on the air immediately. You you can tell me how I'm wrong. I've watched it objectively for decades, and I can come up with no more realistic conclusion. The purpose, the cause, it's not about making life better for Americans. Let me give you an, an example of what I'm talking about. Yesterday afternoon, I had to go fill my car up. I went to Sam's Club, which is where gasoline, for some reason, and I guess it's because that's Walmart, Sam's Club, which is cheaper than any place in, I guess, our part of the country. So there's a Sam's Club in Shreveport. That's Shreveport's on the west side of the Red River. Bossier City, Louisiana, is on the other side. And yesterday, even with a great price at Sam's Club, I paid $3.16 a gallon. The day Joe Biden was elected, that same day at the Sam's Club in Bossier City, I filled up in the same car I'm driving now for $1.65 a gallon. Now, I dare anybody to try to justify that. That's double the price for just gasoline. Now, let's talk about all of these financial numbers that we hear and see every other day or so. Like, for instance, this morning, the jobs report came out. Oh, and everybody said it's a big disappointment. America created just... 187,000 jobs in July, but wage growth picked up. Hey, 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 you got another nickel or 25 cents or maybe even 50 cents an hour. Forget about the jobs thing. But then a little caveat down at the bottom. They tell us they had to revise the previous numbers. They missed it by 49,000 jobs. They overestimated 187,000 workers added to payrolls in the month of July. So in that preliminary report for June, the Labor Department had said the economy added 209,000, and the unemployment rate was 3.6. The June jobs number was revised down. They just missed it a little bit. But guess what? They're doing that every month. You go back and look at the averages. What they announce is, and then when they get it all down and figured out, oh, oh no, we overestimated. Here's the big one. Average hourly wages rose 0.4% for the month. Slightly more than expected. Compared with a year ago, average hourly wages are up 4.4%. Now, let me just mark this day. Mark this day. Next month on this day. We're going to get the jobs numbers, and I will bet you a $100 bill. They're going to revise these numbers I just gave you. They're going to revise them down. That's the way leftist politics work. Facts don't matter. It's whatever the narrative of the day has got to be. Everybody's got to fall in line, and it is to make reality look a whole lot better than it really is, especially in this world of Bidenomics. Twice as much per gallon of gas today, well, yesterday, than the price of gas at the same place was the day Joe Biden was elected. wonder why that would be. wonder why that would be. Think about it. There's no justification for that. Let me point something else out. I promise you, if you do any grocery shopping or if you go buy clothes or makeup or you go to Home Depot and get some supplies and stuff there, I will bet you you're spending way more percentage-wise than we're being told the costs are for goods and services, especially at the grocery store. I'm one of those people, when I get locked in to go places to eat dinner that I like when I find a a restaurant or two that I really like one of I don't know each flavor Asian Mexican steak when I find the right one the good one that I like I go back all the time all the time and we shop for our groceries we shop the same way I won't tell you the store that we use the chain that we use but we have for years and it is uncanny how much more everything across the board is expensive compared to what it was when Joe Biden was elected. Yet Joe Biden's out touting, he's bragging about binomics, telling us all how great things are. Oh, inflation's coming down. It's down. We're doing a great job. What they don't tell you is inflation... They say it's down by 4%, but they're not saying it went up to almost 16% before it started inching down a little bit. And the inching down, they claim, is because Bidenomics is making everything better for everybody. A lot of things that you buy in the grocery store, they're not showing the prices going up. For instance, a loaf of bread. We eat bread. We're bread people. My father, my stepfather, owned the largest bakery in South Louisiana for years. I love bread. The best kind of dessert for me, on a Friday night after football games, we'd go downtown Lafayette to the big bakery, Evangeline Made Bakery. That was Papa Joe Huvo. He started it from scratch, my stepfather. And they kept in the back, because they were cooking Friday night for all the stores for the weekend. They cook French bread and they kept a can, aluminum can of the nasty, not healthy chocolate icing back there for me. Why? Me and a few buddies would go down there and as a loaf came off the assembly line out of the oven, the little change thing, you know, where that comes out of there and there's fresh bread on it and we'd grab a loaf slice it open and put that chocolate icing on there. I'm a bread guy. I just told you that. That's a that's a free commercial there. Evans made bread by the way is still there in some parts of Acadiana, part of South Louisiana. Nevertheless, I point out the bread thing because we use, we consume the same amount or kind of bread that we have for years. And the price on the loaf of bread is the same thing it was a couple of years ago. But you know what they've done? They've shrunk the size of the bread slices. And they've reduced the plastic that it comes in, you know, the little bag thing. They even smartly reduced that too to make it appear the price of bread hadn't gone up. It has. Because you're getting less. I've never seen this anything like this happen in my lifetime. But it, it teaches us several different lessons. Number one, they may not call it a recession, but we're in a recession. And family, especially white collar and blue collar families, are feeling this as a real recession. Stretching dollars. Not having dollars that will go the same distance that it did a couple of years ago. Now, let's just roll over into The old Donald Trump versus Joe Biden stuff. I don't like some of former President Trump's messaging. I don't like sometimes the things he says, the names he hangs on people. I hate that. And yeah, he can be a bully. But you know what? 75 million Americans realized about him and voted for him? That's not just a few people. 75 million. And then, of course, if you're one of those people, like most of Americans, who don't believe the 2020 election wasn't fiddled with, there probably are more than we were told that voted for him in 2020. Why would that happen? Why was he elected over Hillary Clinton? You can only put it on one thing. We the people They liked what they heard. They had heard crap like they were hearing from Hillary Clinton for years. Even though she was never president, she was in politics at the highest level for her entire career. Donald Trump, he said when he was campaigning for the 2016 election, he promised, here's the things we're going to do. Bam, 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 bam. Dozen, maybe two dozen of them. And then what happened? They gave him a shot. Why not? The alternative, they looked at the alternative and they were like, you know, Hillary, Bill, we've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, we don't need to go back there. Let's try a, something new. And if if he can't get it done, if he doesn't do it, if he's just a typical politician, you know, a Democrat, we'll make a change in four years. Lo and behold, he gets elected and he starts making changes that he promised he was going to make if he was elected. And almost without fail, every one of the changes made things better for life in America for Americans. Oh, and he did something that uh, Democrats will never do. They will never do it. He promised to enforce the borders. Everyone realized even before this everybody realized what was happening at the southern border it wasn't just costing us billions of dollars in our infrastructure it wasn't criminality had gone through the roof in texas alone in two years two years there were 600,000 felony acts committed against texans by illegal immigrants in two years. That's according to the, uh, the Texas Department of Safety. They're on numbers. So, how many of those kind of incidents is Joe Biden okay with? You remember that uh, he stepped up there and he sent some federal officers down to the border to help out. You remember that? What was that all about? Do you think he had an about face? Do you think he changed his mind? You know he didn't. We all know that he didn't. He just wanted to look good. We are, by the way, you know this, in an election cycle. But guess what happened very quietly? The Department of Defense is withdrawing 1,100 active-duty troops supplementing Homeland Security's mission at the border, and they're all going to be gone by the end of this weekend. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, at the behest of Department of Homeland Security, authorized 1,500 active-duty troops to go there for a 90-day mission. They went there in May, just ahead of an expected surge in migrant crossings, and guess what? There sure were... Quite a bunch of surges in the last 90 days, but Joe's up there thumping his chest and telling us what a great job we're doing. So while encounters with illegals dropped initially, apprehensions tracked upwards again in May, July, and up to 400 soldiers are going to have their mission extended until the end of August. Big deal, right? On July 19th, Secretary authorized up to 400 active duty troops to remain at the border until August 31st. It's my understanding that this authorization came as a result of a request from DHS and Border Patrol for an extension. Now, they made it very clear when they sent them down there. The Pentagon said, oh, these soldiers are only going to perform behind-the-scenes administrative duties— They were not tasked with any law enforcement work. Like, you know, protecting the southern border. And I'm not going to climb up on my soapbox, but somebody needs to make me understand how the President of the United States, whoever it is, Joe Biden right now, and the Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, who's over making sure our borders are are taken care of, and everybody that comes across is doing that legally. How do they justify? How does Alejandro Mayorkas, how does Joe Biden justify five million illegals, five million illegals coming across into our nation that we know about, expected to be two million more because of the gotaways? That's in two and a half years. Five million. How much is that costing the American people? What about those people that are part of those groups? We've been told there have people that come in here have been from over 160 different countries. These are not people that we're told the reason for helping these people at our southern border. are Those poor people from South America, Central America, that they're desperate to get out of the horrible situations in which they live. They tried to sell us on that for years. But you know what? When you have a question about why, follow the money. Let me tell you how insane this is right now. One of the most powerful work sectors in the world is drug cartels. And among the drug cartels in the world, the most powerful are the Mexican cartels. They have turned Bidenomics and Biden border security, they've turned it into a multi-billion dollar industry. Of course, to make it look better, not be better, but to make it look better, Mayorkas came up on his own, this whiz bang app on a phone so that anybody from anywhere, hey, if you want to come to the southern border and do it legally, you fill out this thing all about you on the app and we'll send you a time and date for you to come check in, log in so we know you're here and then we'll give you a notice to appear to come back as soon as possible, when we can get you into court in front of an asylum judge to hear your case. Made that sound so good. But since that's happened, we've had the biggest surge we've had at the southern border in more than two years. Why is that? What happens to those people when they come to the ports of entry? They're coming legally, and they've got their information uploaded on our app, They've got a reservation, and they check in. They get the notice to appear. Then what happens with them? What should happen legally is they should be sent right back across the border where they came from. Not on Biden Mayorkas' watch. They just let them go. Now let me tell you how um, innovative the drug cartels are. (laughs) They, They have hacked that app and they have started using the app and sending it around the world to every country. They're getting access, and what they're doing is marketing their operations to people from around the world, and here's the sales pitch. Hey, we'll get you into the United States, and we'll do it so you can stay there permanently. Here's all you have to do. You log in and create an account with us. We'll get you your date to go to the southern border to be seen and and, and noticed legally when you're going to have a hearing before an immigration judge to determine if you can come to the United States. And here's all it's going to cost. That's happening right now today. Hear any of that from the... Department of Defense, Homeland Security, or from the White House? Oh, no, no, no. They would never do that because that would be factual information that the American people would want to know about, right? (laughs) Follow the money. Follow the money. Well, we can't go through the show. We can't take a day and not talk about the latest in the Trump situation and I'm not going to go into it very deeply but there are a few things I want to point out to you we're going to do that straight ahead a divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer
3: divorce is
0: like
4: no other experience especially for guys at Cordell and Cordell our clients want a partner standing next to them someone they can trust someone who understands where they are and how to get them out.
0: We are the attorneys of Cordell & Cordell.
4: We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell & Cordell. A partner men can County. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at cordellcordell.com.
1: It's mycomputercareer.edu. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word from Your Wallet.
6: you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the. Uh, uh,
5: uh, uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years money saving rebates on brakes, batteries,
0: tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Violence, screaming obscenities, heated arguments, angry crowds, roller derby? No. Nah. Election season. And your voice of calm is truthnewsnet.org.
1: It's almost been humorous to me to watch some of the leftist cable networks like CNN and MSNBC to watch and listen to the diatribe they're putting out there in explanation about Special Counsel Jack Smith's ruthless handling of everything to do with former President Donald Trump. Jack Smith, we went through his history yesterday. He's probably the most vicious federal prosecutor there is today. And he also holds the title of being the most reversed federal prosecutor there is. What do you mean reversed? He comes in and he does his thing and he gets a jury to convict people for really bad stuff. But the problem for Jack is the evidence doesn't quite stack up for the charges that he talks the judge into charging this prosecutor defendant with and then he talks a jury and then giving a guilty plea former governor of Virginia bunch of charges by Jack Smith against him he went to prison the governor did and the appeals worked their way up through the appeal process it goes to the Supreme Court now remember at that particular time the split on the Supreme Court was five liberal judges and four conservative judges the supreme court overturned that conviction of that governor but his life was destroyed jack smith two other cases similarly same kind of thing that ended up happening there he's a bulldog this morning i watched this people on cnn they were almost bowing before him and they weren't talking about his career as a prosecutor, they were talking about how fit he is physically. And they talked about how many iron men and triathlons he's run. Of course, that qualifies somebody to be a federal prosecutor. You don't need to be a brain surgeon to go after, oh, Donald Trump. Well, after those charges yesterday, some experts weighed in. And the consensus among most of them is that if he gets convicted for these things, the January 6th charges that were brought yesterday, it's not going to pass muster if and when it gets to the Supreme Court. Alan Durchowitz, you know who he is, a former Harvard law professor and a constitutional expert, he said if this happens like this, if Trump gets convicted... Gershwitz said, I think he may lose in the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, but he will probably win the United States Supreme Court if they grant a review. And they should grant review. When you have the president of the U.S. people going after his opponent in a political election, it has to be beyond reproach. It has to be without any problem. It has to be the strongest case in history. And this doesn't meet. The standard. Now that's Alan Dirtiewicz. But he's not on his own. John Bolton, former national security advisor, not a Trump lover. Yesterday, Bolton made an appearance during CNN's wall-to-wall coverage of the big day when the ex-president was being arraigned in D.C. at the courthouse there, a festive occasion that had trump-hating leftists celebrating like it was Christmas Day. But Bolton, which he didn't do very often, he came out with a message that was more of a warning than it was of joy. He was on with Jake Tapper, the former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., and spoiled the party by likening the cases against Trump to a game of Russian roulette. And an unexpected turn of events like An acquittal or a hung jury could result in the most persecuted political figure in modern U.S. history winning back the White House. And, of course, if he did that, he would exact a terrible vengeance on his enemies. After telling Jake Tapper, one of my least favorite news anchors on television, after telling Tapper, excuse me, that a conviction in either federal case would likely be lights out for Trump's career politically. Bolton then warned that if the unthinkable happens, Smith's witch hunt could boomerang bigly, bigly on Democrats and their allies. But I want to underline what we're doing. This is Bolton. I think it's the right thing to do, but it is a modified form of Russian roulette. If Trump is convicted and one or both of the federal cases, I think they'll turn things upside down. I think he could be denied the Republican nomination, and he'd certainly lose the election. So, John, don't you understand? That's exactly what this is an effort to do. Destroy him and pay whatever price is necessary to keep the orange man from moving back into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Bolton continued, but if he's acquitted... Or hung jury results, which I think would be understood by most people as being the equivalent of acquittal, I think he would get the Republican nomination and he could quite possibly win the election on the back of that. Bolton also chided politicians and talking heads who are gleeful every time some big thing happens about the Smith indictments, which they seem to believe this time we finally got him telling Tapper that the risk is real and that if Trump ends up being acquitted, which could be unlikely considering the jury pool, that is a big deal, the jury pool, that it could empower him to win next year's election. The risk is real, and I hear the exuberance. I've heard it the last 24 hours, Bolton said. The impeachment efforts against Trump failed twice to get a conviction. And what we did, and what did was the consequence of the failure, emboldening and empowering Trump. Acquittals here would be even more devastating. Tapper Lee brought up a message that Trump posted on Truth Social yesterday. And Tapper was a little bit troubled about it. It was this one. I saw it when Trump put it out. I am now going to Washington, D.C., to be arrested for having challenged a corrupt, rigged, and stolen election. It's a great honor because I'm being arrested for you. Make America great again. Tapper said, what does that mean to you? I'm being arrested for you? Now he asked the question of Bolton about the post in which Trump said he was being arrested for his supporters. Why would anyone think that that is possibly true? of course, Bolton then had to look down his nose at all conservatives, me, Republicans, everybody. That's the way John Bolton rolls. And he said, well, I think he's appealing to the alienation of a lot of Republican voters, a lot of independents, a lot of people who have supported him before. And if he can make them feel that they're the ones that the system, the deep state is after, it will solidify their support. And for a lot of reasons that people can discuss, that support is real, it's undeniable. What will shake that support is conviction. Trump's enemies are rejoicing today, but there's got to be a gnawing sense of dread in the back of their minds that the resilient Trump has repeatedly survived every previous effort. To destroy him. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is really going on? What is this whole thing about? And what is the expected and hoped for end result of every one of those people that are playing into this impeach, impeach, try, put him in jail? I mean, the man, for the first time in history, was impeached twice. And he was innocent. At least the U.S. Senate said so in both cases. I can't imagine anybody, especially someone like Donald Trump, that has a successful business, he really laid all that down. He lost billions of dollars his four years as president. Why is that? He wasn't working in the businesses. And Donald Trump is the biggest part of anything that is successful that he does. A TV show on NBC, they love Donald Trump. You're fired. Everything he did, with, with a few exceptions, but everything he did was successful, and people are jealous and resent that. But what made it worse was when he came out and determined his thoughts are conservative. He aligned himself with conservatism and politics, and he told the American people in the 2016 campaign, he told them not only what he was going to do, he told them how he was going to do it. And everything he singularly could do as president of the things that he promised, he got done. No other president in my lifetime has accomplished that. Lots of promises. Very, very little on the results side. And the things he could not get done, the reason he couldn't get them done, he couldn't get Congress to go along with them. Go figure. One figure that was part of that that really surprised me, Paul Ryan. You remember Paul Ryan? He was the vice presidential candidate when Mitt Romney ran against Barack Obama. Paul Ryan was a Wisconsin member of the House of Representatives. He was the House Speaker for Donald Trump's first two years. Paul Ryan hated Donald Trump then. He still does. Oh, by the way, when he left Congress, he went to work. He's on the board of Fox News. And so out of the clear blue about 30 days ago, he tweets Paul Ryan. Now, Got to remember, he's one of the big shots at a conservative news network. Those people aren't supposed to speak politics. They're supposed to keep their politics underneath their belt and not talk about it. Paul Ryan tweeted this, If Donald Trump wins the nomination, I will not go to the Republican National Convention. My first thought was, who gives a rip? Who cares? But then I thought it through. He was signaling a lot of people. Who would give a rip about Paul Ryan not possibly going to the convention? Rhinos, which he is one of, the chiefest of, and by the way, I may blow your minds when I say this, but so is Mike Pence. What is that all about, Dan? I'm not gonna get into it right now. I'm gonna wait a few minutes. I want you to listen to some sense about what and why all this crap is going on. Last night, Laura Ingram on her show, she waited right into the middle of it. Take a listen.
6: Joining me now to unpack all of this is John Lauro, attorney for President Donald J. Trump. Uh, he was there in the courtroom today, John. Um, They want this trial to be speedy. This was repeated all day long on the other cable networks. They want it to happen before the election. What does that tell you tonight?
3: It tells me everything, Laura, about what's going on, about the attack on our Constitution. I've talked a lot about how this is criminalized First Amendment speech because President Trump, like all of us, has a right to redress grievances has a right to protest an election that he felt was unfair, has a right to uh, campaign on a position. And they've attacked that right, not just for President Trump, but for everyone. But now, today in court, which was a very terribly sad day, they're attacking other parts of the Constitution because they want to take President Trump to trial in a few months. They want to deny him his Sixth Amendment rights to counsel To give me and my co-counsel Todd Blanche an opportunity to prepare. They want to deny President Trump his due process rights to look at documents, to get witnesses, to use our subpoena power. They want to deny all of him those rights in a rush to judgment for one political purpose, and that's to uphold the Biden administration. Make no mistake about it. This has Merrick Garland's handiwork all around it. This case was brought had to be approved by Merrick Garland. And interestingly enough, why the bums rush on this case? Do they feel that there's a problem in the other cases that are being orchestrated and they need to bring this case to trial in a couple of months in this venue? What does that tell you?
6: Well, they definitely don't want to name any of the other uh, co-conspirators, correct? Because that would slow them down. I mean, if this was such an assault on our democratic process, which obviously it was not, Trump left office voluntarily. The electors, you know, had the you know vote certified, all of that. So that all happened, but they actually want this to go forward as fast as possible, and so they'll they'll let go of the co-conspirators. Correct? That's key 100%, to
3: Hundred percent. This is a. This is a fast-moving railroad without any concern for justice. Speedy trial rights are a defendant's speedy trial rights, a citizen's speedy trial rights, not the government. The government has an obligation to ensure a fair trial. And in this case, what we need is a journey to the truth, not not a railroading of of an American citizen, let alone a former president. So what we have here is a strategic move by the Biden administration to get to trial as quickly as possible because for whatever reason, and we know the reason, they think they can do better here in the District of Columbia than they can do in a more diverse state like Florida.
6: Well, uh, I mean, I think that's a harder argument for you to to argue um, because it is very difficult to change venue. And in these types of cases, it hasn't been successful. But I think you're onto something about what they want to prevent. They want to, they want to prevent the people from having their say next year, whatever that say is. Um, Bill Barr, the former attorney general, no love lost, obviously, between Trump and Barr. He disagrees with the free speech defense, and this is why.
5: They're not attacking his First Amendment right. Uh, he can say whatever he wants. He can even lie. That does not protect you from entering into a conspiracy. All conspiracies involve speech and all fraud. Involves speech. So, uh, you know, free speech doesn't give you the right to engage in a fraudulent conspiracy.
3: John, your response to that? Laughable. Absolutely laughable. What's the fraud? Tell me what the fraud is. What's the fraudulent speech? Don- Donald Trump, President Trump, was out in the open petitioning. The state legislatures petitioning the courts, there was nothing fraudulent going on. This is absolutely protected First Amendment speech. For Mr. Barr to say that is a complete and utter utter ignorance of what the basic law is with respect to freedom of speech. The First Amendment protects not only speech, but it protects the right to protest and it protects the right to petition for grievances, which President Trump did to characterize this as fraud when there's nothing being done in secret. There's nothing being hidden. There's no. They're hanging it all.
6: Yeah, John, they're hanging it all or a lot of it on the supposed conversation between Pence and Trump that Pence took contemporaneous notes of where Trump said you're too honest from paraphrasing, but yeah, you're well, just too honest. But I mean, well, to me, that's just a throwaway line. That doesn't prove anything, but man, they're hanging a lot on that one phrase.
3: Good luck, I'm ready for them a trial. I can't wait, but, but something about the conversations yeah. between Mr. Pence and Mr. Trump. President Trump was getting advice from an esteemed constitutional scholar as to an array of options that he could take in light of the discrepancies and what was going on in 2020. Those discrepancies were well known and and they were being litigated. Professor Eastman laid out a series of options that were discussed with Vice President Pence. Vice, Vice President Pence disagreed on certain issues. But ultimately, what President Trump said is, let's go with option D. Let's just halt Let's just pause the voting and allow the state legislatures to take one last look and make a determination as to the as to whether or not the elections were handled fairly. That's constitutional law. That's not an issue of of criminal activity.
6: John, um, August 28th is the next date uh, that you guys are supposed to appear or you'll you'll appear uh, for the next hearing. Um, Thank you. We're going to be following this. We really appreciate you joining us tonight.
1: Good comments. Good facts there. Go figure. Good facts coming from anybody. Facts that would possibly benefit Donald Trump. Go figure. So let's talk for a minute about Mike Pence. Mike Pence, vice president. You know any of his history? He's from Indiana. He served in Congress six terms. That's 12 years, six terms as a congressman from the state of Indiana. And then he decided to run for governor, and he won the governorship. He was not very well liked as governor in Indiana because he was very abrasive. He is a hardcore conservative. And let me just say this, about his politics, he kind of in his career was a little bit wishy-washy about some of the social issues. He's always been very pro-life very anti-homosexuality, marriage, a marriage law, marriage defined as one man, one woman being married. And in his tenure as the governor of Indiana, he got very abrasive and confrontational with people who had different opinions from him. And he always invoked the faith card. You know, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I have a lot of respect for people that will get out front and be open about their Christianity. Not nearly enough of those type of people around now. And I'm happy that I'm one of them, by the way. But nevertheless, I've never used my Christian experience, my faith, my personal relationship with God for politics. He did. And it rubbed a lot of people in Indiana wrong. Looked like he was not going to be able to win re-election in Indiana. So here comes Donald Trump. Here comes the 2016 presidential election. And he flipped a card, and he got the nod. Oh, by the way, six terms in the U.S. Congress. What about the legislation that he presented to be considered on behalf of the people that he was representing from Indiana? 12 years, not once, not one time. He was working hard to become a politician. So, he became the vice president. Many will say he was a good vice president. I'm one of those people that I couldn't see any really good stuff that he did. He was always there. Donald Trump depended on him for probably more things than many of us know about, but there was always this rub there, and I think I understand now what that rub was about. As it's turned out, nobody's talking about this, but as it turned out, Jack Smith's ace in the hole for this latest batch of charges against Donald Trump the ace in the hole is mike pence that may surprise some of you but since this these indictments were handed down day before yesterday pence has totally changed his 2024 campaign yesterday they started selling merchandise that takes a direct quote from the third indictment of former President Trump. Two words, too honest, T-O-O, honest. Now, Pence, all of a sudden, we find out he's a major character in the new charges brought against Trump. He testified before the grand jury, we knew that. And he happens to be mentioned numerous times in the indictment, and his private notes are being used as evidence in the case. The former vice president has been vocal in condemning Trump's alleged involvement in January 6th and alleged attempts to overturn the election. And the quote comes from a portion of the indictment that details the former president calling Pence too honest days before January 6th. The defendant called the vice president and berated him because he had learned that the vice president had opposed a lawsuit seeking a judicial decision that, at the certification, the vice president had the authority to reject or return votes to the states under the Constitution. The vice president responded that he thought there was no constitutional basis for such authority and that it was improper. Now, that's from the indictment. In response, the defendant told the vice president, you're too honest. The campaign dropped a white shirt and a hat with the phrase, too honest, on the front. Pence's signature below and Mike Pence for president displayed on the back. That was yesterday. Pence has since defended his role in certifying the election results. And commended the third indictment where special counsel Jack Smith charged Trump with conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th proceedings, and a conspiracy against the right to vote to have one's vote counted. The former vice president told Martha McCallum day before yesterday that Trump and his, quote, gaggle of crackpot lawyers asked him to reject votes during the certification process in the Senate. Today's indictment serves as an important reminder. Anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. That's from Pence on Tuesday. I will have more to say about the government's case after reviewing the indictment. The former president is entitled to the presumption of innocence, But with this indictment, you know that indictment, that you gave him your private notes, not stuff that Trump wrote down or anything he gave you telling you not to do the right thing, but your private notes, you wrote them, you gave them to Jack Smith, they're part of the indictment. And what do you want out of it? You want to be the next president of the United States and you really think you're qualified. Wow, wow, wow. The real clear politics average for a 2024 national Republican primary based on polls conducted between July 12th and July 30th show Trump has 59% support. Pence is several spots back. A whopping 4.4%. Now, let me I'm I'm thinking very quickly here, letting the mind roll. I've got something I want to give to you, and I may wait to do it. But by the way, talking about Paul Ryan, guess who Paul Ryan's best friend is? Mike Pence. Paul Ryan hates Donald Trump. Mike Pence was Donald Trump's vice president. Mike Pence very quietly turned his back on Donald Trump. And he threw his lot in with the rhinos, Republicans in name only, led by Paul Ryan. Think that through. There's more to this story. More to it. I'll have that for you. And even more about it right after this. Real Truth. Real News. TNN. The Truth News
0: Network. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at wearegolden. Look out, world. We got it from here.
6: Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold,
4: Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow.
6: A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello? Awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I
4: heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. New home ownership can be a real eye opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates now at homedepot.com/workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com/workshops. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did, but now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box, only at Taco Bell.
1: Well, 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 tell you what, I'm going to shut this part of this conversation down. We've said pretty much everything factually that uh, is out there that we know, and I know it surprises you, but I've thrown a little bit of my own opinions in on this thing, and if you don't agree with me, you don't agree with me. I respect that, and I hope you do the same thing on my part. If you disagree, I hope you respect the fact that we can disagree and still be okay with each other. I don't want everybody on earth to think like I do. I really mean that. I don't, I used to, and I never could understand why everybody didn't. And then I realized <laughs> at some point in my early life, you know what, Dan, life's not all about you. Shocking, right? <laughs> uh, some bad news, really bad news coming out of the southern border information from Eagle Pass, Texas. An ongoing heat wave there has impacted much of the nation, including here. And the swift-moving currents of the Rio Grande River proved deadly for migrants trying to get across the river to the United States during the month of July. According to a source within Border Patrol, 125 illegals died attempting to cross the U.S. southwest border in July alone, 125. The Border Patrol recorded 37 migrant deaths during the month of July in the El Paso sector. Most of the deaths, according to the source, involved heart-related injuries. The total migrant deaths in July for El Paso, Tucson, and Del Rio Border Patrol sectors average more than three per day. Temperatures in certain parts of the southwest remained more than 100 degrees for weeks. In Arizona, temps spiked above 110 degrees for more than 30 consecutive days. A record-breaking heat contributed to 36 migrant deaths in the Tucson sector alone. The Arizona Border Patrol sector recorded the second-highest total for migrant recoveries in July. The third-highest number of migrant deaths recorded occurred in the Del Rio sector where the remains of 31 deceased migrants were recovered. In that sector, the source says, most recoveries involved heat-related illness. This was followed in numbers by drownings in the Rio Grande. The source says the migrant deaths recorded by Border Patrol don't accurately portray the total number of migrants who died during the month trying to cross the border. Border Patrol doesn't maintain a record of Deceased migrants recovered by authorities in Mexico are those recovered by other U.S. law enforcement agencies in areas that are away from the border where there's no involvement by border patrol. Wednesday, two bodies were discovered by law enforcement near a floating border barrier installed as part of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star just south of Eagle Pass. Texas Department of Safety Highway Patrol Troopers Manning the floated barrier, believe the migrants may have drowned somewhere upstream of the buoys before the discovery. Law enforcement authorities in Mexico are working to identify the bodies after they were recovered near the barriers. Now, the Border Patrol will not record these recoveries in their accounting of migrant deaths as the recoveries occurred in Mexico. With two months left in the current fiscal year, nearly 550 migrants have died. Their deaths have been recorded by Border Patrol alone. In 2022, a study by the UN's Organization for Migration declared the U.S. state's Mexico land border to be the most dangerous land crossing in the world. U.S. Customs and Border Protection recorded more than 800 deaths during the year, the designation by the IOM is likely to remain unchanged when the total of migrant deaths on both sides of the US-Mexico border is finalized for this year. Why are we still having this conversation? Why are these deaths at the border patrol? Why are they why are they continuing? Doesn't somebody in government, didn't somebody in the Biden administration put a hand on the Bible and raise the other one in the air and swear an oath to the American people and to God that they would protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, meaning I'm the head of the executive branch of the United States government. My chief role is to keep everybody within our borders safe and make sure that everybody that is in law enforcement, federal, state, and local, enforces all the laws. Every person that took an oath, people that ran for office were elected and got up there and became members of the House of Representatives and or the U.S. Senate, and of course the government, that would be the president, vice president, everybody in his cabinet, all of those people that work up there swear the same oath. Did it mean anything? I've read for you before the federal statutes on illegal immigration. Should I do it again? Should I read it again? It'll just take a second. Statute on illegal federal immigration. You know, it's just a law thing, it's eight U.S. Code. Chapter 1325, any alien who enters or attempts to enter the U.S. at any time or place other than as designated by immigration officers or eludes examination or inspection by immigration officers or attempts to enter or obtains entry to the U.S. by a willfully false or misleading representation or the willful concealment of a material fact shall for the first commission of any such offense be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned not more than six months or both, and for a subsequent commission of any such offense, be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned not more than two years or both. Now, what else is there? Anybody that assists or suborns or helps. Such illegals can be fined and convicted for the same purposes and get the same fines. It's illegal. that That should be sufficient, right? That's all it has to be. Now, they've been telling us, they on the left have been telling us for years, I mean decades. Immigration laws, federal immigration laws are too strict. They're not fair. Well, guess what? There's a process in the Constitution that everybody agrees to of how to change laws that are unwanted, unfair, illegal, whatever. And the way you do that, it's called democracy. Ours happens to be a representative republic. And so we elect people to go up there and represent us in the lawmaking process. People like, oh, I don't know, Joe Biden for 50 years was a U.S. senator for the state of Delaware. He represented the state of Delaware. He, by the way, was a key part, played a big-time role in crafting and passing all these nasty federal immigration laws that he refuses to make sure are enforced breaking his oath of office, and making him subject to criminality for suborning hundreds of thousands, millions of illegal aliens coming into the United States. You think he bears any responsibility for those 600,000 felonies committed by those just in Texas alone over a two-year period against Texans? You think you should have anything to do with that? Hmm. I mean, the Immigration and Nationality Act, it goes all the way back to 1952. 1952. I wasn't on planet Earth yet. You don't like the laws? very simple. The process says get the House of Representatives. They craft new laws to replace the Owens or they take the Owens and they amend them. They convince each other which one should or shouldn't be implemented and if they pass it out of committee and the floor, the whole House of Representatives passes it. You send it across the hallway to the Senate. They represent the states. The whole idea is to make sure every law on the books regarding everything is an accurate, fair representation of the people of America, the people who send people to D.C. supposedly to represent them. You don't like laws? There's a process there. Change them. Do away with them. Whatever you want to do in representing the people who sent you up there, whatever their thoughts are, not your own, but their thoughts, abide by those and do it the legal way. But for you to take the law into your own hands and you have the unmitigated gall in this White House to look down your nose at everybody else out there that dares to believe we should enforce every law on the books you broke your oath of office, you're committing felony acts yourself, you should be held accountable for it. Everybody that is in a position to make such decisions. I'm through with all that. Let's get on. We've got, what about, 30, 38 minutes left in the show. We've got plenty of other stuff we need to tell you about. Kamala Harris, vice president in the news again, and as you can imagine, it's not really good news. During an interview with Milwaukee's TMJ4 News yesterday, vice president Kamala Harris answered a question on demands for protections for the unborn at the point of viability, while still allowing some abortions by stating that, quote, the government should not be telling women what to do with their bodies. TMJ4 chief political reporter, a guy named Charles Benson, asked her this. Wisconsin has 1,849 abortion ban law in place after the Supreme Court decision was reached on Roe v. Wade. Prior to that, it was a 20-week ban on abortion. So my question for you is, and he's speaking to the vice president, what is your position on protecting reproductive rights while those and others are saying they want some protection as well for fetus viability? Harris, of course, she answered it in her normal wisdom, quote, let's start with this, she said, and I think it's very important for us to all agree that one does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be willing to be telling women what to do with their body. She should be able to make that decision if she chooses with her pastor, her priest, rabbi, whomever, but the government should not be telling women what to do with their bodies. And so when we look at this issue and we know that the highest court in our land just took a constitutional right that had been recognized from the women of America, from the people of America, I think we all have to step up and say that we need to have leaders lead by having some level of compassion and understanding that they should trust women to make decisions that are in their best interest and that they, women, are in the best position to know what is in their own best interest. It's that simple. That word salad I just quoted from her, it reminds me of that song, that Billy Preston song. Will it go around in circles? Uh-huh. <laughs> Circle back, that's Jen Psaki. Vice President responded, "It's not about saying that. It's about saying that we need to first of all codify and put back into place the protections of Roe v. Wade. That is what we're fighting for. And when Congress does that, the president will sign it." Well, here's the problem: <laughs> what the Supreme Court—they did not rule on abortion. What they did last year was not telling people it's not okay to get an abortion. What they said was this one thing. There is nothing in the Roe v. Wade law or determination. There's nothing there that has ever legalized abortion. It's not even mentioned in the verbiage in the Roe v. Wade case. It's not even in the court records. It's not at all. It was concocted and assumed by the court back then to codify abortion as being okay and just saying it's okay rather than basing it on a law, which is all the Constitution is supposed to be about, the rule of law. Oh, by the way, I wonder if anybody has ever thought about who represents the child in the womb. Doesn't that child have rights? You know, when they can feel pain, their heart's beating, and they can feel pain. That's been proven again and again and again. It's okay to slaughter them. I'm just asking. Oh my gosh, if something happens to Joe Biden today, she's going to be our president. Speaking of Joe Biden, did you hear about the full details of the Devin Archer conversation with members of the House Oversight Committee on Monday? That thing that has to do with that controversial dinner that everybody was saying Joe Biden wasn't there, wasn't part of it. Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's ex-business partner, confirmed during that closed-door interview with the House and that then-Vice President Joe Biden was at, in attendance, the infamous spring 2015 dinner with son Hunter's foreign business associates, despite the Biden campaign repeatedly saying Biden was never there. Tony Bobolinsky, remember the other, another one of, Hunter's business partners, he too was at that dinner and said Joe Biden was there too. Devin Archer told investigators the elder Biden had dinner with him and several others, including Vadim P from Burisma. When Biden got there, Archer said Biden shook everybody's hand and joined the conversation. In 2020, the New York Post, Post reported an explosive story about Hunter introducing then-Vice President his father to a top executive at Burisma, where Hunter had served on its board and reportedly collected $83,333 a month. That's a million dollars a year. Story set off a of firestorm, rejections from Biden's closest aides. Andrew Bates, who's now a White House spokesperson, but at the time worked on the communication team of the Biden's 2020 campaign, roundly denied the meeting ever happened. Bates told Politico the campaign, quote, reviewed Joe Biden's official schedules from the time and no meeting, as alleged by the New York Post, ever took place. Likewise, in that same Politico article, which centered around Biden's campaign punching back against the Washington, excuse me, the New York Post story, other top Biden advisors flatly rejected that Biden met the Burisma executive. Michael Carpenter, who worked for Biden during the alleged encounter and was being paid more than $200,000 at the Penn-Biden Center, chalked it up as a Russian disinformation campaign. This is a Russian disinformation operation, Carpenter said. He now acts as the U.S. permanent rep to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. I'm very comfortable saying that. By the way, the Washington Post also published published a fact-check piece back in 2021 that referenced pushback from an unnamed campaign spokesman for Joe and officials who worked for Biden. It's unclear whether this spokesperson was also Bates. A campaign spokesman for Joe Biden had said in a review of Biden's schedule for that day, they found no record of any meeting. Officials who worked for him in 2015 also told the fact-checker that no such meeting took place. The piece went on to say that a White House individual with knowledge of Joe's schedules said the decision to see Father Alex Carlustis at the dinner was made late that day after the schedule was completed and that the decision to attend was made that evening. However, an email that was widely reported a couple of years ago shows that Hunter told the father, Carlustis, his son, three weeks before the dinner on March 26, 2015, that Hunter's dad will be there, but keep that between us for now. Ooh, somebody lying here? Another guest at the dinner told the Washington Post that Biden didn't even sit down, and that he was not part of the dinner or part of the dinner discussion. I guess he just went there and hung around and sat up and watched everybody eat, right? But Archer, a longtime Hunter business partner and friend, he contradicted those claims and said that then VP Biden was in attendance and was part of the dinner. Fox News Digital got a the more than 140-page transcript of Archer's interview before the House Oversight Committee on Monday. The transcript shows investigators had asked Archer about that dinner that was mentioned in the New York Post report, which happened at D.C.'s upscale restaurant, Cafe Milano, back in 2015. That's the go-to place for all the Politico heavyweights, Cafe Milano. The story revolved around an April 2015 email from Burisma Board Advisor Vadim Porcharsky, who had written to Hunter the day after the dinner to thank him for inviting him to the nation's capital and allowing him to meet his father and spend some time together. But wait a minute, he wasn't there. Joe wasn't there. It's really an honor and a pleasure for said. As we spoke yesterday evening, would be great to meet today for a quick coffee, he continued. What do you think? I could come to you your office somewhere around noon or so before on my way to the airport. According to the transcript from Monday, congressional investigators asked Archer who was at that spring dinner. That dinner was, I think we went over it before, but it was Vadim, Hunter, Joe, myself, Kareem Massimov, a Greek Orthodox priest, maybe someone from World Food Program. Archer said, and what did Joe do at that dinner? Did he have dinner? How long was he there? That's the congressional investigator asking Archer. He had dinner. He had it dinner, Archer responded. And there was, on that one, I believe the first one was like a birthday dinner. And then the second was, I think we were supposed to talk about the World Food Program. So there was some talk about that. Basharsky made headlines last month after Fox reported about his correspondence with Hunter Archer and longtime business partner Eric Sherwin months after the dinner, the ultimate purpose of his involvement with the Ukrainian energy company. My only concern is for us to be on the same page regarding our final goals, Prasharsky wrote. With this in mind, I'd like to use a formulate a list of deliverables, including but not limited to, a concrete course of actions including meetings, communications resulting in high-ranking U.S. officials in Ukraine, U.S. ambassador and in U.S. publicly or in private communication or comment expressing their positive opinion and support of Nikolai Barisma to the highest level of decision makers here in Ukraine, president of Ukraine, president chief of staff, prosecutor general, etc., And it continued, the scope of work should also include organization of a visit of a number of widely recognized and influential current and or former U.S. policymakers to Ukraine in November aiming to conduct meetings. All of this is so explicitly coordinated and documented by multiple people in writing, but yet Joe Biden, the Biden campaign. We know nothing. We know nothing. And this whole diatribe goes on and on and on. Oh, by the way, the Washington Post gave Joe, by saying he wasn't at that dinner, gave him four Pinocchios. Four Pinocchios, which, as you know, is the worst that they can give. So, do you think anything is going to change as we get closer to the upcoming election? 16 months from now, it'll be here before we know it. I hate to even think about it coming, but nevertheless, Joe's the odds on pick at this point to represent the Democrat Party. Donald Trump's still there as the front runner on the Republican side. Stuart Varney, Stuart Varney, he's with Fox News Business. You hear him a lot. He is a. A native of the U.K., he emigrated here many years ago, and he is a U.S. citizen. But he made kind of a shocking prediction about who's going to be in the 2024 election.
5: On Trump's side, he's been hit with three criminal indictments, and there may be one more to come next week. He appears in court tomorrow and will be in and out of court for the next 18 months. This is the schedule Biden wants But the indictments have so far firmed up Trump's support. He's running away with the GOP nomination, roughly 30 points in front of the next contender, Ron DeSantis. Look at this. A New York Times-Siena poll conducted last week has them tied at 43% support. I'm going to make a bold and perhaps very foolish prediction. Biden will not be the candidate One more display of cognitive difficulty, one more slip and fall, one more piece of evidence that he's financially corrupt, and senior Democrats will move to get him out. California Governor Newsom takes his place. Trump wins the Republican nomination and then beats Newsom. Okay, I'm being just a little provocative here. (laughs) You think Gavin
1: Newsom taking on Donald Trump, Joe Biden getting kicked to the curb? I don't know. Nobody knows. Unless, of course, you believe the reality of, uh, you know, election cheating. (laughs) Then we have no idea of who's going to be running against who and for sure who's going to win the election. Here's a great idea. Why don't we just leave it up to the people of the Americas? How about, you know, the 50 states, our territories, Let's just all vote. You think we could just do that? Count fairly? Not cheat? And just let the winner be the winner.
5: How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, Which is stupid, because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think Road Safety, a message from the Government of South Australia. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I
4: ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy.
3: It really is everything I ever
4: wanted. Get a
0: bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's Biggie Bag
4: is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really?
0: The truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you
1: and the future.
0: TNN, the Truth News Network.
1: Something a little strange happened yesterday. Strange in the Democrat family. Strange in the leftist media, cable news network family at CNN. Conversation about Joe Biden, it kind of came back around to discuss his latest grandchild. We've all known about that granddaughter for some time, four years old. Joe has never mentioned her name. He's never seen her, never even seen her. I find it hard to believe, but politically, it became a really tough situation for Joe Biden because he touts himself as a family guy. And he means and tells everybody all the time, oh, my family is everything. But he had seven grandchildren. But he wouldn't acknowledge the seventh. Scott Jennings at CNN, CNN of all places, far-left network, he went postal on air about joe biden and this little girl
6: the president has made being a family man a central part of his political identity
1: uh it's
4: not republicans with all due respect who made hunter biden into a complete scumbag on this and other issues The, the ignoring his own daughter for four years, and the president of the United States hanging up a stocking for the dog—I mean—and not for his seventh grandchild. Okay, look, okay
5: Amorine, we
6: can also have—we can also have we, sympathy for people who are struggling with addiction. Let's right, keep this conversation
4: right. respectful. I, 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 listen, I, I totally agree, and you know where I'm from. A lot of families deal with addiction, and you know who ends up picking up the pieces—the grandparents. And in this case, the grandparents would not acknowledge. This little girl, it is offensive, but the bottom line is... But
6: they have now.
1: the poll- <laughs> Oh, what a hero. The polling must have been yeah, brutal. Just the polling sure must have been a- brutal. The polling must have been brutal. That's why they finally acknowledge that little girl, his seventh grandchild. Kudos to Scott Jennings. I'm going to have to remember that name. I never heard of him before. I don't spend a lot of time at CNN. But yesterday, a Democrat in Congress... He brought kids up again into the conversation. And this came from that get-together by the uh, House Oversight Committee last Monday, this Monday, in which they, they had Devin Archer in there. And this Democrat in the hearing invoked questioning about Donald Trump's kids. The Democrat, who has become pretty much the... Um, the go-to guy for anything negative against Donald Trump, Representative Dan Goldman of New York. In that hearing, he invoked former President Trump's kids while questioning Devin Archer during the closed-door hearing about Hunter's overseas business dealings. The transcript, which came out yesterday, shows that Goldman invoked Trump and his kids after Archer, Hunter Biden's former associate and business partner, after... Archer testified that the Biden brand made people intimidated to mess with Burisma, that Ukrainian energy firm that had Hunter Biden on its board of directors paid him $83,000 a month. That's just a lot of money. Goldman asked Archer whether he thinks the Trump family has a brand from which Trump's kids could benefit or gain access, and also whether Archer had ever golfed with the former president. This is from the transcript. Would you say that the Trump family has a brand? That's a question from Goldman for Archer. Absolutely, Archer replied. Archer's attorney then interrupted Goldman as he was asking whether Donald Trump Jr. gets access, saying that the inquiry was so out of scope and that Archer doesn't know anything about the Trump family. Would you say that Donald Trump's children's benefit from their last name being Trump Goldman asked, to which Archer replied, he would speculate to say yes. Speculate. Have you ever played golf with him? Archer said, no, I haven't played golf with him. You never did play golf with Donald Trump, Goldman asked again. Well, I did play behind him. Sorry, scratch that. I played behind him, Archer said. And then he came up to me at the clubhouse and talked. He didn't know who I was, but he didn't like my athletic shorts. <laughs> now that sounds like Donald Trump at Bedminster, his top-level club in New Jersey. Goldman's questions were part of two hours of questioning that Democrats were provided after Republicans in the hearing were provided the same amount of time to press Archer about Joe's possible role and Hunter's alleged oversee business operations. This stuff just keeps going on and on and on. And I don't see any end to it, do you? I don't see a peaceful resolution about any of this. I really don't. I don't understand a lot of it. There's a lot of things that it's he said, she said, and as we all know, very seldom do those things come to pass. But let's just move forward a little bit. We've got a presidential election coming up next year, 2024. One of the uh, lightning rods on the GOP side, Vivek Ramaswamy, he's a different young man, very successful in business, a multimillionaire. Uh, He is an American citizen. And he's very aggressive when he talks about what his thoughts and ideas are. And by the way, He really thinks Donald Trump did a great job. Yesterday, he got up before a crowd and was asked some questions about some of the stuff he's doing. But he talked about something, and he mentioned this that shocked me. I didn't know it. But Ramaswamy has actually sued the Department of Justice. And you know what about Trump's indictment?
4: Sure. So now I'm speaking to my capacity as a presidential candidate here. I am running for U.S. president in the same race that Donald Trump is running, and I would have made very different decisions than he would have made. But a bad judgment is not the same thing as a crime, and I think it sets a dangerous precedent in this country for the party in power to use police force to arrest its political opponents during an ongoing presidential election on the basis of untested legal theories. And so I stick to the same principle. I just want to know the truth from the government. What did Joe Biden tell Merrick Garland? What did Merrick Garland tell Jack Smith? We deserve to know. A little over a month ago, I filed a Freedom of Information Act request under the law, giving a specific time horizon and timetable to the US government to turn over records to the public. Whatever the facts are, I think we the public deserve to know. They did not abide by that timeline. That then gives me as a citizen standing to sue in federal court. And yesterday that's exactly what I did while also earlier today filing a new FOIA request relating to the most recent indictment to know the same. We're told we have a special prosecutor. Great. The government should be transparent about all communications between the White House and Merrick Garland, and between either of them, Merrick Garland or Joe Biden and Jack Smith. And I think the public will be better off for, yes, knowing the truth. And whatever the truth is, yes, we can Handle the truth.
1: So here's an American citizen. Yes, he is running for president, but he doesn't have any more standing in the federal courts than you or I have. But he took the chutzpah. Basically, he has the kahunas to file a suit against the Department of Justice demanding that they open up and give us the facts. That's a novel idea, suing the DOJ and expecting to get some facts, right? I thought that was worth letting you hear because uh, not many people would go that far and take such actions. There's another constitutional expert that has weighed in on all of this stuff. Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Lawrence Tribe yesterday told CNN that former President Trump could wipe out all criminal charges against him, including both state and federal cases, if he gets elected to the White House next year. This is uh, interesting. How big of a test, professor, is this for America's judiciary and for the rule of law? CNN's Wolf Blitzker asked. Tribe said, it's a very important test, but caution that the rule of law is subordinate to the rule of politics. Not supposed to be, right? But it is. Tribe said a Republican president could simply erase the charges against Trump if Trump does not win. And even though the former president tried unsuccessfully to overturn the election, he might succeed this time in becoming president again or having someone else become president and simply erase this trial. Trial said simply appoint an attorney general who dismisses it all. However, if Trump wins, Tribe said the former president would weaponize the Department of Justice policy that does not allow sitting presidents to be charged with a crime, even at the state level. Tribe warned that Trump could wipe out Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, who is suspected of bringing a case against Trump, as well as Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, Who indicted Trump earlier this year? So if Trump becomes president again, he can wipe out Fannie Willis, he can wipe out Alvin Bragg, he can get rid of these state cases, he can get rid of this case, Tribe said. The fact that Tribe recognized a Trump presidency would wipe out all of Trump's criminal cases, it's notable. Because House Democrats consulted with Tribe as they prepared for their first articles of impeachment against him. House Democrats consulted with Tribe after he praised disgraced lawyer Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti's contribution to the political dialogue deserves a hearing. He's smart, clear, and committed to facts and evidence. Tribe tweeted after Avenatti announced his qualifications to run for president. A powerful fighter... He seems to be a good listener. He knows how to use the media, knows what he doesn't know, and seems practical as well as progressive. Of course, Avenatti's in prison now. (laughs) Tribe said if Trump gets elected again, it'll leave the country with someone who has demonstrated his willingness, his ability to simply disregard election returns and conspire with a number of, so far, unindicted co-conspirators to submit fake electoral slates. Last year, Tribe claimed Trump attempted to murder former Vice President Mike Pence when speaking on January 6th. Ordering your Vice President to violate the law in order to stay in power is a very serious federal crime. But there are other crimes as well. One that occurred to several people today is attempted murder, Tribe said. You know, Under the criminal code of the U.S., the attempted murder of the vice president is punishable by life imprisonment. Now, don't even try to tell me (laughs) that they can't come up with the most egregious, indefensible, unbelievable allegations to make against a political foe. And that's exactly what Donald Trump is to everybody. He's messed up their deal. Everybody on the left was all in for authoritarian rule, but never call it authoritarian. They wanted a small group of people to run and control everything and felt like and had been sold by many people on the left that that was the best way to make sure everything in the United States stayed good all the time. Just let us handle it. Go sit down and be quiet. We'll take care of it. Little vaccine news for you. New evidence suggests vaccinated individuals can transmit antibodies generated through mRNA COVID-19 vaccinations to unvaccinated individuals through aerosols. This is according to a peer-reviewed study published in Immuno Horizons. Extended mask requirements allowed scientists at the University of Colorado to evaluate whether vaccinated folks could transfer aerosolized antibodies generated from COVID-19 vaccines. Aerosols are a manufactured or naturally occurring suspension of particles or droplets in the air like as airborne dust, mist, fumes, smoke that can be absorbed by the skin or breathed in. Researchers used a combination of tests to detect SARS-CoV-2 specific antibodies out of the mask vaccinated lab members wore and donated anonymously at the end of the day. Antibodies are proteins produced by the immune system that circulate in our blood and neutralize foreign substances like bacteria and viruses. Consistent with results reported by others, the researchers identified both immunoglobulin G and immunoglobulin A, antibodies in the saliva of vaccinated individuals and on their mask. Isn't it amazing? One more thing that we'll never know the facts of. And because there were so many lies out there that were told to us by people like Anthony Fauci, we just don't know what to believe. Hey, you guys, have a great weekend. Thanks for being here today and everything. We'll see you Monday
7: slippin 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 into the future uh-huh. Uh-huh. Living out in the street Well, I know there's a solution